Get ready for a journey into the heart of Bridgeport politics with In Absentia, a new podcast from Connecticut Public's investigative team, The Accountability Project. Learn about the city's past and present political dysfunction and the systems that enable it. Tune in wherever you get your podcasts. Funding provided by Joe Zimmel and Valerie Friedman. This is where we live on Connecticut Public Radio. I'm Lucy Nalpathanchel. We know Valentine's Day is coming up, but today we'll talk about singlehood and why our society judges people, especially women, when they're not in a relationship. Shani Silver has written a book about this called Single Revolution. Don't look for a match, light one. She says it's a guidebook challenging the notion that being single means there's something wrong with you. Shaney is open about her singlehood over the last 13 years, and she says embracing singlehood doesn't mean you'll be single forever. Are you single or remember that time in your life? We want to hear from you. You can join us, 888-720-9677. That's 888-720-WNPR. Find us on Facebook and Twitter at Where We Live. Shani Silver joins us on Zoom. She's a podcaster hosting a single-serving podcast since 2019. Shani, welcome back to the show. Thank you so much for having me. First off, congratulations on your first book. So let's talk about what prompted you to write it and you know why you feel like we need to reframe how our society looks at singlehood. Sure. What prompted me to write it was I wanted there to be a sort of um, centralized space where everything I talk about on my podcast and on social media could live with the single person themselves. They could have it there with them when I couldn't be there as sort of a, um, as a, as a coach or as a calming voice in the single space. So I really wanted it to be in someone's hand. And the reason we need to reframe singlehood is that so far it has had terrible PR. It has never been talked about in a positive light. It has never even been entertained as something that even could be positive. When in reality, in my opinion, couplehood and singlehood are absolutely equal in value. They both have positives and negatives. They both have benefits and challenges. And I think in creating a bit more balance between singlehood and couplehood, it just it, it lifts everybody in either situation and helps people feel better. And I, I care very much about helping singles feel better about something that I don't believe is wrong. Now, you've been very public about the time that you've been single uh, with your podcast and also with this new book. And you write that you, know, you spent 10 years of your life in this dating culture. And so what changed for you, Shaney, where you didn't feel like how society thinks of the singles as being there's something wrong with you or you're a failure because you're not in a relationship? I think what led up to it, honestly, was exhaustion. I think after 10 years of trying, 10 years of fruitless effort, I really just sort of couldn't do any more without challenging the notions that I had in my head about why I was even trying at all. What was really so bad about my singlehood that I was trying so hard to run from it? And as soon as I started examining singlehood and asking myself, okay, what is this? What does being single mean? Um, I started looking at it through a lens of abundance, what I actually did have, as opposed to only looking at it through the lens of what I didn't have, which was a partner. So tell us more about that, about what you have as someone who's been single and why this should be empowering to people instead of, again, this notion that, uh, this, that, you, that you have something less. 
Oh my goodness. I love that question because it, it means a lot to me that singles start to value our singlehood. Because remember, if we want relationships, I believe that we will have them. And I want us to appreciate the value of our singlehood now, as opposed to only looking back on it when we're in partnership and missing it. Because singlehood does have so much value to it, so many positives. For example, freedom. Endless freedom to do whatever you want, however you want, whenever you want. And that's not to say that people in couples aren't free, but there is a lot of compromise and a lot of, you know, needing someone else's buy-in on something because you're, you're existing in the same space together. You're sharing a life together. When you're single, that doesn't happen. There is no, uh, there's no need for compromise. There is only the option of endless customization of your entire life, your entire home, your world. There is just so much freedom to do everything the way you want it done. And I like that. I value that. It's, it's really fun for a start, but it's also just a very calming and comforting feeling. And I worry that if our sole focus as singles is on finding someone else, we're missing this beautiful opportunity to appreciate what we have right now. Shani Silver is my guest today, a podcaster and author of Single Revolution, Don't Look for a Match, Light One. We'd love to hear from you if you're single or you remember that time in your life. What stood out to you or what stands out to you about dating culture and, again, this feeling that you have to be in a relationship? You can join us, 888-720-9677, or find us on Facebook and Twitter at Where We Live. So let's talk about why society holds on to this narrative about people who are single. And when we think about our culture and the thing, the things that uh, feed into this portrayal of singlehood. Can you talk about that, Shani? Sure. I think it's a narrative that is as old as time. We've been taught uh, by our families, by our peer groups, by media, by music, by everything, that love is this absolute desire, that it is the most important thing possible, the most important relationship possible, that it's such an achievement to find this this mythical love. And love is fantastic. And I want to be really clear about that. Love is wonderful. I absolutely believe in love. And I look forward to my future relationships where I am in love. The difference for me is I'm not going to ignore the value of my singlehood now because that's what I have right now. Um, so the, you know, you don't have to look very hard. We've been, we've been receiving messages about how important partnership is since we were children, um, since we attended our first wedding and saw that it was just this glorious event. It's, it's actually really hard for me to think of a way that we celebrate as human beings in a way that's bigger than a wedding. And again, weddings are wonderful and love is wonderful, but we, we ignore, um, we ignore the reality of the situation, which is their weddings are common. Relationships are common. Love is common. This is something that's available to everybody, but we lift it up and put it on such a high pedestal that anyone who isn't achieving this accomplishment, as we like to, to treat it, can feel terrible feelings of failure. And I just don't see much, um, I don't see much logic in that because it's not, um, it's not an accomplishment. Love is not an accomplishment. A, a marriage is not an accomplishment. These are all choices. We make choices about the relationships we're in. We make choices about um, how we define those relationships. And um, what I'm looking for is not a devaluation of love or partnership or marriage, but I am looking for more balance because I see just as much value, just as much um, potential for, for education and self-development and just as much potential for joy in singlehood as I see in couplehood. When we look at how romance and even dating is portrayed, look no further than that show, The Bachelor. I got to get your take on that one. 
Oh, goodness. Um, I have a hard time talking about the Bachelor franchise. I have a hard time with any scenario where um, individuals are competing for love. First of all, I don't think that's what it is. I think it's reality television. And I think reality television has never been very kind to singles. I think it has a terrible habit of putting singles in situations where they are um, shamed and degraded. And even if they're participating, um, we're still we're still shaming them on a public stage and seeing how far how far they will go, what they will do in order to compete for love. Um, and it, it makes me very uncomfortable to think of you know communities of people, a whole country full of people sitting on their couch and watching single people compete for one person. It 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 reiterates narratives I don't like. One of them is is a scarcity narrative. Like all of these women have to compete for this one man, and and that just it, it furthers the assumption that a man is a rare thing, a single man is a rare thing. When in reality, they're not. There are just as many single men as single women on earth. It's you know there's there's an abundance of all of us. And anytime when we're creating scarcity narratives or or reinforcing scarcity narratives with entertainment that, in my opinion, degrades singles. I'm uncomfortable with that. Again, you can join us as we talk about singlehood and how to reframe uh, the the belief that there's something wrong with someone who chooses to remain single or has been single while they're looking for a relationship. Again, the number 888-720-9677 or find us on Facebook and Twitter at Where We Live. Linda's calling in from Summers. Linda, what did you want to share? Linda, can you hear us? Oh, it looks like Linda can't hear us right now, and we can go back to her later. But Jennifer called in from East Granby. She shared that she's in her mid-60s and extremely happily single. She was married in her 40s and 50s, but now loves being single. She does miss the romance and the sex without a doubt, but I have the love of my family. No children, but nephews and nieces and friends. And Shana, you talk about that, about um, the, the relationships that uh, we should focus on and so of always thinking about looking for a partner. Can you respond to what Jennifer shared? Of course. I'm very happy for Jennifer. I think she's identified the entire point, which is there are so many relationships in our lives that are capable of um, providing us with company, with love, with affection, with companionship, with friendship. It's never about saying that romantic love isn't a good thing. It's about saying that all these different kinds of relationships are just as valuable. And when we can start to lift up these um, varied relationships, we lessen the feelings of failure around not having a romantic one. So I think that's fantastic. I think um, the more we can look around at everything we do have and be grateful for everything we do have, that gratitude is a huge component of enjoying singlehood. And it's, I want to be clear that when I say gratitude for what you have as a single, I'm not talking about a life that is a consolation prize. I'm not talking about a life that is, you know, good enough for a single person. I mean, a genuinely wonderful life that is just as good as what we imagine romantic partnership to be. Again, you can join us with Shaney Silver as my guest today, the number 888-720-9677, or find us on Facebook and Twitter at Where We Live. You mentioned weddings earlier, and I'm wondering if you can share that anecdote, even with uh, when uh, people are invited to celebrate a couple in this, quote, milestone, how singles are treated at weddings, Shaney. Oh, goodness. Okay. And and bear in mind that I'm, I'm massively generalizing, and I don't think that every couple who's getting married does this by any stretch. Um, but the 
the dynamic of being a single person attending a wedding is um, by and large an uncomfortable one. We're often seated with other singles because we need to round out the table setting as opposed to sitting us with the people that we know at the wedding. Um, I don't know that I've ever been seated with people that I know at a wedding. I think I've only only ever been seated with people that I don't know, which isn't a bad thing. You get to make new friends, but particularly if you're traveling for a wedding, um, you want to hang out with the people you know and see them and catch up and, and wouldn't that be nice? Um, there's also just dynamics of, of obligation that are attached to weddings, particularly weddings um, where you're an out-of-towner that can be extremely uh, expensive and difficult for a single person to participate in, but the the guilt of not participating or not, you know, putting yourself out socially or financially can be so overwhelming and you want to be a good friend. You want to be a good family member. But I think, um, I also want those getting married to be good friends and good family members to the singles in their lives. And I haven't seen a lot of that. Um, so I just, again, it's, it's about balance. This is about balancing it out. And so far, uh, couplehood and marriage and weddings, they've had the lion's share of praise and approval. And um, I'm working very hard to uh, put some praise and approval in the single bucket as well. Shani Silver is my guest today. She's a podcaster and author of Single Revolution. Don't look for a match, light one. Are you single or remember that time in your life? Shani says society needs to lay off single people and stop making them feel bad about singlehood. She describes her book as a guide to help singles change the narrative about this time in their life. More with Shani after the break, and we'd love to hear from you too. 888-720-9677. That's 888-720-WMPR. Or find us on Facebook and Twitter. At where we at where we live. I am alone, gazing from my window to the streets below on a freshly fallen silent shroud of snow. I am a rock. I am an Support for this podcast comes from Hartford HealthCare. Elevating Health is funded by Hartford HealthCare. ECMO is a leading-edge, life-saving treatment for patients with cardiac or respiratory failure. Dr. Jason Gluck, director of the Mechanical Circulatory Support Program and Emergency Cardiac Care at Hartford Hospital, explains what it is. So ECMO stands for extracorporeal membrane oxygenation, outside the body oxygenation of blood. It's a life support technique that's used by highly sophisticated medical systems for patients with severe heart or lung failure. The technique involves removing blood from the body, oxygening it, and then returning it back. ECMO procedures happen in the ICU, but not all hospitals are equipped with the necessary technology and staff. Dr. Gluck describes Hartford Hospital's ECMO Go team. So ECMO is considered when treatments have failed, and in our center, with a special ECMO on the go team, we'll actually take that technology to their hospital and help them out there if they need to, to stabilize the patient and then bring them back to heart for recovery. For more information, go to ctpublic.org slash health. This is where we live on Connecticut Public Radio. I'm Lucy Nalbathanchel. People may celebrate Valentine's Day this weekend, but author and podcaster Shani Silver says couples shouldn't always be the ones who get to celebrate while singlers, singles are left 
to feel sorry for themselves or that something's wrong with them. In her new book, Single Revolution, Shani Silver writes, singlehood isn't miserable, but dating is. And you can love singlehood without buying into what society tells you about it becoming a permanent choice for women. Shani Silver is with us today on Zoom. So let's talk about dating apps, Shani, and how they add to uh, the toxicity of, of, again, the way society looks at singlehood. Sure, I would be happy to. Um, So there is a chapter in my book called Delete Your Dating Apps, and I do mean that. And we could talk about the horror stories of dating apps, but honestly, we've already heard them. Everyone has already heard them. And um, what I'd like to point out instead is that there is a um, a very logical reality that is happening when you're using a dating app. The dating app that you're using stops making money when it works. And that's a harsh reality for me to face. As soon as I meet someone, that dating app stops making my money. So what incentive does it have to ever help me actually meet someone? It doesn't. It has an incentive to do just the opposite. It has an incentive to keep its users single for as long as humanly possible. And when I started waking up to this reality, I I understood why I was essentially swiping my adulthood away voluntarily, um, never meeting anyone, never having anything other than those horror stories, because we've created a dating culture that has essentially allowed bad manners to fester, and it's allowed bad manners to fester privately. When someone sends a lewd message or an inappropriate message or just a degrading message on a dating app, it's done so privately. No one can see that. I mean, imagine if before anyone could send you a message on a dating app, they had to tweet it first and their boss was going to see it. I think it would really change the behavior on dating apps if there was some sort of accountability, either for users or for dating apps themselves that are incentivized to keep their users single so that they continue to make money. So I have a really big problem with that. And, um, you know, I'm, I, I can talk about this and I can suggest to people that they stop using dating apps all I want. But the reality is the dating industry is huge and massive and I'm one person. And where I think I can affect more change is in talking to singles themselves and asking, why are you so invested in this dating app? Why are you so convinced that this is where your partner is hiding? Um, it's, it's essentially this... Um, I think it's a falsehood. I think the notion that your partner is hiding in a dating app is a falsehood that we unfortunately believe for longer than we should. We swipe for longer than we should because we have something beautiful. We have hope. And I think dating apps are taking advantage of that hope. I wanted to get to some callers. The number, the number again, 888-720-9677, or find us on Facebook and Twitter at Where We Live. Uh, Kelly on line three. Are you there, Kelly? Yes, I am. Go ahead. What did you want to share with us? Um, Well, I'm in my mid-30s, single after a divorce, um, and it was an unhealthy marriage. And I just want to say that the stigma of being single is a danger to women. I know multiple women who are in abusive relationships who, for fear of being single, stay. You know, the fear of the unknown of doing it on their own, and I just think it's tragic. And so this idea of removing the stigma of being single is so important to the safety of women. Thank you, Kelly, for that call. Shana, you hit on that in your book as well. How do you want to respond? I just completely agree and echo everything that was just said. There are are very, um, very scary realities for women who are afraid to be single or who are desperate to get out of singlehood. Um, If the notion is that singlehood is worse than anything, um, you can find yourself in very dangerous, scary situations. Um, And and unfortunately, I don't think dating culture is doing much, if not anything, to protect the safety of women. So, um, yeah, I I would just echo what this caller said, and and I I appreciate her saying it because it needs to be said more often. It's, it's the truth. 
When you talk about uh, the dating culture and dating apps uh, not focused on protecting women, you talk about how heterosexual women use these apps, and it's very different from how heterosexual men use them. Can you explain that? Sure. And again, it's a massive generalization, but um, the way that we have socialized single women is through shame. It's shameful if you are a single woman, particularly if you're aging into your 30s and you haven't found someone yet. Also, I find the word yet so confusing um, because like when does when does never start essentially? Like when someone says, oh, I never got married, when does never begin? I don't know. Um, But we're socialized to believe that if we're a single woman in our thirties or forties, we have failed. There's so much shame associated with that. Whereas the way with the ways that heterosexual single men are socialized, you know, if you're single in your thirties, there's nothing wrong with that. You're still just as much of a catch. And those competing dynamics create, I think, some competing goals within the dating space. Because if you're if you are a single woman dating in the dating space with the intent to find a partner, um, you might often find yourself coming up against single men who just want the more fun aspects of dating, casual dating, casual sex, stuff like that. And if you have you know people interacting in the same space with competing goals, it's going to generate all of these horror stories that we're all so familiar with. In your book, you talk about the horror stories and even the way people who may be in a relationship or who are married, how they ask certain questions of people who are single. And these stories that we're looking for, these little horror stories that might be entertaining to some, you write that they're tiny bits of trauma. Can you talk more about that, Shani? Of course. This is an issue of privacy and this is an issue of respect. Um, We would never sit down to dinner with a married friend of ours and ask, so how happy is your marriage right now? But it's very common to sit down to dinner with friends and have them say, so how's dating going? So are you seeing anybody? And not only will they ask, that's often the very first question that someone will ask a single person. It's an issue of privacy and respect. The privacy and respect that belongs to single people is not regarded um, as highly as that which belongs to couples. We love to consider what happens in a couple as something that happens behind closed doors, but single people's doors close too. And our dating lives, particularly when they're a struggle, when they're difficult, it's not entertainment. What, what we're going through, what's happening in the dating space, the very earnest and honest quest to find companionship that can often be incredibly difficult, it's not entertainment. It really isn't. And I find that the casual treatment of a single person's romantic life um, is deserving of much more privacy and much more respect than it's currently getting. You can join us as we talk about singlehood, 888-720-9677. Shani Silver is my guest today, author of the book Single Revolution, Don't Look for a Match, Light One. Jackie's calling in from West Hartford. Jackie, you're on the show. Hi. Um, So I just wanted to share an experience. Um, I was in my middle 30s, and I went to a wedding, and I was the only single female at that wedding. And the bride was um, bent on throwing the bouquet. (laughs) And I knew what was coming down the pike. So I went to the ladies' room. And her, I think it was her sister or sister-in-law, came and brought me out to the dance floor. And it was awful. (laughs) So it's just kind of funny. And apparently it's happened to one or two other people, which I just think is kind of ridiculous. And also another quick thing is that somebody had asked me once if I was um, if I was seeing someone and or if I was engaged and I said no and she said, oh, I'm sorry. Mm. <laughs> so 
two funny things. Well, thank you, Jackie, for calling us. I'm sorry that that's happened to you. Um, and at the wedding, when you were forced to come back out, you were the one to catch the bouquet. And so that's the that's the, the story, right? So when someone catches a bouquet, oh, lucky you, you're going to be next. <laughs> how did you how did you yeah. handle that? I just I just wanted to get out of there like ASAP. I like, <laughs> the music started playing and I was gone. But it was it was very, very shame shaming. Yeah. Um and it made me feel even worse that I was single, uh, especially at my age at that point. Um it, it, yeah, it was kind of awful. Well, thank you again, Jackie, for sharing that with us here on the show. You can join us to 888-720-9677 or find us on Facebook and Twitter at Where We Live. So, again, hearing how singles are shamed, Shaney, that's, this is just one of many examples, or how someone responds if they do ask the question and the person responds that they're single, as if, again, this is a negative yeah, that that story hurt my heart, and and you're not alone in that. That the bouquet moment, the the public shaming and pageantry of a very outdated tradition is very hard for single people to go through. And I don't think that anyone participating realizes just how shaming it can be. And and while they're doing it, they're laughing and they're enjoying themselves. Meanwhile, a single person is being completely and publicly shamed. And just, you know, I would encourage anyone who's listening to this, who's in a couple or who's even planning a wedding to put yourselves in the position of a single person being publicly humiliated. Why would you do that to someone you cared about enough to invite to your wedding? I just I just don't understand. It's baffling to me. Um, And then forgive me. The other part of your question was. Oh, just that when people respond as if it's a negative, um, if someone finds out you're single, as Jackie mentioned, that, oh, I'm sorry. Of course. yeah, this is this is going to be a tough moment, but I, I will I'll say that it's something that gets easier with practice and time. First of all, anytime anyone says anything to you about your singlehood that you don't like, it's not your job to convince them that you're okay. It's not your job to convince them that you're happy. It's not your job to prove to them that your singlehood is valid or beautiful or that you're enjoying it. Uh, you have no responsibility in that moment. They had a responsibility to exercise good manners and they failed at that task. So I know that sometimes we can be, um, we can rely on common coping skills like making a joke or laughing it off, things like that. Um, and if that's what you need in the moment, do what you need to do in the moment. There's no shame in that. Um, but you are allowed to say to someone who is making you uncomfortable, hey, why did you say something like that? I'm just wondering because it's something that makes me feel really bad and I know that you love me. So I'm wondering why you would say something that um, is is derogatory about singlehood or is shaming about singlehood um, when you didn't have to. Because the center of a single person is not their singlehood. The center of a single person is their whole life. Everything they care about, everything they do, everything they are, that's their center. And um, comments like this are are just reiterating to the single community that the only thing we should be allowed to care about is our singlehood and finding someone. And that's just simply not true. Again, you can join us, 888-720-9677, as we talk about singlehood. We touched on dating apps. We'd love to hear your experience with them or if you've decided to delete them, as uh, Shani Silver talks about in her book, uh, Single Revolution. Uh, you know, we got a call earlier. That I guess the person wasn't able to stay on. Uh, Sheila said she was stunned we were doing this topic. This has not been an issue for her and her friends. And so how do you respond to that about, again, the need for you to write this book? 
Well, I think everybody's got their own perspective and um, it may not be the case for you and your friends, but it is the case for me and mine. And um, there's room for every perspective. If somebody has ever felt shame for being single, um, they deserve content made for them as well. So I'm really grateful anytime that anyone has not experienced single shame. I think that's great. Um, but that doesn't, uh, I'm not going to deny the reality that many of us have. We talked again about uh, dating culture. Of course, there's the advice books. We even talk about people who pay for matchmakers, Shaney. Uh, before we get to that, I'd love for people to get a, a, a flavor of your writing in this book. Could you read from your book, Single Revolution? Sure, I'd be happy to. Um, so this is from a chapter called Paying for Maybes. Within dating advice books and newsletters are countless methods, tips, tricks, and other suggestions that love to make single people think that luck, fate, and the freedom to simply live our lives and meet people without spending money are romantic fantasies that never come true. They're designed to make us think that we need the thing they're selling, unless we want to be single forever. Scary. They're doing a few things here. Number one, they're reiterating the assumption that singlehood is a bad, shameful thing. If their cure exists, by default, your problem must exist too. We internalize this wrongness to the detriment of our self-esteem. The real kicker, new resources come out all the time and have been coming out for decades. What message do you think all these dating advice resources for singles send about what we are? If we were acceptable and good as we are now, the resources to change us wouldn't exist. Number two, they're trying to sell you on methods for dating that never, at any time, have to actually work. Remember that it's all a maybe. Authors and creators will sometimes use their own married status as proof that their methods work, even if they met their partner organically and with zero effort whatsoever. In terms of maybes, books and newsletters are the cheapest, but I despise them all the same. And number three, most importantly, they're selling you the idea that you really need to change something about the way you are or the way you operate. And if you just do things their way, that's when you'll find someone. If you don't find someone, they get to blame you for not trying hard enough or adhering to their methods correctly, rather than their methods for being fa faulty in the first place, which I find really convenient. Again, that's Shaney Silver. She's a podcaster and author of the book, Single Revolution. Don't look for a match, light one. We're talking about her book today here on Where We Live. You can join us too, 888-720-9677. Share a comment on our Facebook page or find us on Twitter at Where We Live. I believe Sarah's calling in. Sarah, what did you want to share? Hi. Um, again, my name is Sarah. I, uh, I'm 48 years old, so I'm Gen X. And, um, you know, I love the book. Um, I've been through, you know, a divorce with, from a abusive military spouse. Stayed in that for 17 years because I was raised to, to do that. Um, our generation, we had to be Laura Ingalls Wilder then Murphy Brown, then we had to be Rachel from Friends, <laughs> and so forth. And we've gone through so many changes. I've been single since the divorce for 11 years. I have horror stories like everyone. And um, I guess the logical thing, and this can be applied to the pharmaceutical industry, healthcare, anything, food, it's an industry. The whole point, I'll think of back to um, Model T's and Ford. The factory line, great, you got a new car at the end. And we it's not because to help the people get around. It's because it's profit. But you make the most profit from the parts and from new models and new models. 
And that's the same thing with people, whether it's healthcare, we live longer, but just to get new, new, um, just to be sold those new products over and over, we're, we're being used. Maybe my generation thought that people developed cures for cancer and things like that to help others. Dating apps, match.com, because they want to help me. No, it's money. And that's it. I guess maybe that kind of a no-duh realization for everything in our lives has to stop. That's it. (laughs) Well, thank you for calling in and sharing that with us. Shani, did you want to respond? I think dating is an industry. It is very much an industry. And um, while there will always be players in that industry who genuinely care about people, um, you know, connecting with with future loving relationships, um, there are also so many players in that industry that are in it because it's an industry, because they are making money. And I don't um, I don't agree with the dating industry because love is free. And I know that love doesn't always show up when we want it to. I know that it doesn't always show up on the societally approved timelines. Um, But the urgency and shame and failure messaging and anxieties around being a single woman keep that industry thriving because we're trying to just hurry up and find someone already. And the dating industry says that it can help. But if you are somebody who has paid money to the dating industry and received nothing in return, you know that that's not true. So um, I have a hard time with the dating industry because I think it is charging money for something that's free and it is taking advantage of the anxiety and pressures um, that single women experience. When we talk earlier about how we're socialized into thinking that being single is bad and how you need to be in a relationship, you know, we can't forget that even some of the people that are closest to us uh, are some of the reasons why these feelings persist for people. And that includes family members. I wanted to take uh, Teo from Portland calling in. Teo, what did you want to share? I wanted to uh, talk a little bit about education of young girls. And historically, young girls have been conditioned to think that they have to marry virgin. Well, right now, thank God, in some societies, uh, that's not a given anymore, and uh, that stigma has gone away. However, it is very, very stigmatic to become pregnant at a young age, and that is probably the most um, stigmatic thing that could happen to a young girl. Instead of that, we should support young girls that if anything like that happens, the family is still behind them. And things are going to be okay. That's number one. And then number two is, you know, getting away with the dating conditioning in high school, like proms and stuff like that, where girls have to look beautiful to score a date. And if you don't have a date, you are stigmatized. It starts at a very, very young age, and it's very stigmatizing to young girls and not so much to young boys. Thank you, Teo, for calling in. Shani, what do you think? I think that stigma and that socialization is is spot on. Um, I was never a girl that got asked to the dance. I was always the one who didn't have a date. And I grew up in uh, Fort Worth, Texas, where uh, homecoming was a big deal. And all the girls would walk around our high school with their you know, enormous Texas homecoming moms. And I never got one. And I still think about that. I still think about the shame I felt and how left out I felt. 
And when you think about it as a kid, you're like, the reason that I'm being left out right now is that I wasn't pretty enough for boys to like me. That's, that's the message that that was sending to me. And that's a terrible, painful message. And I don't have the answer to it. I'm, I'm one person that doesn't have the answer to the way that we socialize children from day one. But I think in talking about how we can value so much more than a woman's capacity to attract a romantic relationship, um, we're, we're off to a good start, at least. Mm. When we think about even the books that uh, young children read or they, uh, their parents read to them where uh, the girl finds her prince. Or I remember when I was in college, Shaney, uh, meeting uh, a girl in my dorm who saw college as a place to find her husband. Uh, you know, again, this is conditioning. And depending on the family that you're raised in, that's where some of this comes from, too. Oh, of course. And honestly, for some people, it works. There's going to be something that works for everyone. There is no one size fits all approach to romance, to love, to partnership, to long term partnership. For some people, meeting their spouse in college worked beautifully, and I'm really happy for them. Um, but I think that people who don't find someone deserve to have someone advocating for them as well, deserve to have somebody advocating for their validity. And um, I haven't seen a lot of that. So that's a big part of why I do what I do. This is where we live on Connecticut Public Radio. Today, we're talking about singlehood with my guest, Shani Silver, author of Single Revolution, Don't Look for a Match, Light One. We'd love to hear from you. Our number, 888-720-9677. That's 888-720-WMPR. If you're waiting on hold, we'll get to you right after a short break. This is where we live on Connecticut Public Radio. I'm Lucy Nalpathanchel. Coming up Monday, state lawmakers are voting what happens to the mask mandate in schools. On the next Where We Live, we'll talk to school leaders and get the latest from Department of Public Health Commissioner Manisha Dutani. And we'd love to hear from you, too, that conversation on Monday. Today, my guest is Shani Silver, a podcaster and author of Single Revolution, Don't Look for a Match, Light One, as we talk about singlehood and the narratives about being single in our society. I want to take a quick call. Guy is calling in. What did you want to share, Guy? Hi. Um, I just I have a question. Uh, you know, I'm middle-aged. I'm divorced. And, you know, I was kind of looking forward to getting back in the dating scene. Um, and I was thinking about signing up for one of these, you know, dating sites. But what do you suggest? I mean, I, I just, I, I, you know, I haven't, <laughs> it's been COVID, you know, I've been alone for a couple of years. I'm looking forward to getting back out there. What are your thoughts? Thanks for your call. Shaney, what do you want to tell Guy? Well, I would tell anybody that um, thinks that they want to enter the dating scene to to do whatever they want, first of all, but to also consider why um, the dating scene is now solely considered to be online only. Um, and also, I don't give dating advice. That's not something that I do um, because I don't think that it's real. I think it's a, a consequenceless um, bit of advice that is often just off the cuff and you know whatever springs to the top of someone's mind. So I don't do that. What I do instead is to ask people why they want to get into the dating scene. Ask them why, what is motivating them to um, get out there? What does out there even mean? And like, what do you feel um, is lacking that is driving you into a space that, I mean, you'll you'll find out for yourself if you'd like to, um, is not what we think it is. It is something very different and often very difficult and at times um, cruel, if, if not punishing. Um, so I don't, I don't, I don't do that. I don't give dating advice. I don't 
I don't corral people toward a space that I don't really like what it's become. Instead, I just suggest that people live. They live their lives. They do the things that they enjoy doing. They participate in the communities that they like participating in and just let life happen. That's allowed. Living your life and letting life happen and letting new relationships come into your life just by being who you are and doing what you do, that is allowed. And people don't want to hear that because that's not taking enough control, right? That's not taking dating by the reins enough. Um, But I haven't seen that work for so many people anyway. So I don't really understand why we um, continually drive singles back toward the dating scene, why we don't talk about singles living their lives and doing what they love to do, because there are countless, countless stories of people meeting in real life naturally anyway. And I think we devalue those. I think we devalue how people meet and we only put stock in the stories of how people met online. Um, But I think that we're allowed to just live. And I think we're allowed to connect with the right relationships for us that way too. And I don't hear it talked about. So that's that's my suggestion. I'm, n- I'm never going to push anyone toward dating culture or dating apps, but I am going to remind singles that they're not missing anything. They're allowed to live their lives and do what they love to do and allow the right relationships to find them um, when they're meant to. So related to that, Shaney, there's a lot of emphasis on how individuals need to put work into finding their relationships. You say, no way. (laughs) Yeah, I disagree. I've heard and experienced far too much to the contrary. Um, I think anybody selling the notion that dating takes work and you have to put effort into it is probably selling you something in the dating industry. Um, Who says? Who says that dating takes work? Who says that you have to work at it? And why do people say that you have to work at it? What do they think is lacking within you that you have to work to fix? because I don't think there's anything wrong with or lacking in a single person at all. I'm also really tired of the you have to work for it narratives happening alongside people meeting their spouse on their first online date or meeting their spouse on an airplane or meeting their spouse at work or through friends or through family. So no, I don't believe that it's work. I don't believe that there is any one size fits all dating advice narrative that you can paint across single people. And I think it's dangerous when we do that because the people it doesn't work for feel like failures. And I don't think they deserve to. You can join us 888-720-9677 or find us on Facebook and Twitter at where we live as we talk about singlehood. So so Shani, we've talked a lot about the factors that, that lead into uh, making people feel bad or the narratives about uh, singlehood being less than. But when we're talking specifically to women, especially women who may have been single for a while, but, you know, biologically, some of these women want to have kids. And so how that plays into the decisions individuals make about relationships. There are going to be certain realities that I can't fix, that I can't help, that I can't give advice for. There is a certain reality that if you want to have biological children, there is a window in which you can do that. Um, what I will say is, and and I know this is hard and I, I can't even fathom what this feels like because I am child-free by choice. But if you are someone who does want to have biological children, um, to the extent that you can, I would, first of all, find community, absolutely find community, um, become members of as many groups as possible with people who are like you that desire partnership and family or or just parenthood. Find community there because you're not alone, but also think about the benefits to separating those two goals. Because I find when we date with the added pressure of, I have to find someone to co-parent with, 
um, the pressure just mounts and mounts and mounts, and it can make dating um, and singlehood a very pressured and difficult situation. And they are two separate things. They're allowed to be two separate things. Um, but again, I'm, I'm not going to speak for or give advice to um, a community that my heart really goes out to, because there are certain realities of singlehood that can be so difficult and so heartbreaking and so unfair. Mm-hmm. I wish it wasn't like this. I wish that everybody who desired a partner for the sake of having children could find one, mm-hmm. but we can't. And so in my experience, finding community and support is is a good way to go. Your book and hearing you speak, Shaney, is very empowering. At the same time, there are moments where people get lonely. And if you're single, that can happen. I'm wondering if you can talk more about, as you, as you, as you just mentioned, you know, stressing the community that you surround yourself in and, and how do listeners cope with that if they've been single for some time? Sure. First of all, loneliness is allowed. Loneliness is allowed to happen. Um, Your feelings are valid. And we don't always have to be so focused on how do I fix this feeling? How do I fix this feeling? How do I fix it? You are allowed to feel lonely. It is not going to consume you. It does not mean that you are a failure. Your feelings are human and they are valid. And again, yes, you're right. Finding community. Um, I have a a whole Facebook community that is tethered to my podcast, and they are the most supportive group of human beings I've ever been a part of. Um, But there are so many more. There are so many creators and communities in the singlehood space um, that are working to make people feel less alone, especially in the difficult moments. But I do want to remind you that we don't always have to put a Band-Aid over everything. We are allowed to feel our feelings. We are allowed to acknowledge that they're valid. And further, we're allowed to acknowledge that they pass. I know there are difficult moments. I know we're going into Valentine's Day. There are going to be feelings of sadness and loneliness that come up, but they will pass. They are extremely valid feelings, and we don't always have to worry about um, hiding them or shoving them away or or glossing over them, Um, because I think our feelings are teaching us something. And I also think that as we move through our feelings and allow ourselves to feel them, we come out stronger on the other side. Mm You mentioned that you don't give advice, but in your book, you list some suggestions for people who are single. I loved number one. Talk about that and, again, how this goes into your whole message of you know you can be a full person um, without feeling that you need to be in a relationship. So I definitely don't give dating advice, but I do give advice for single people. Remind me which one you're referring to. It's because all about the money, so savings. <laughs> oh, yes. Okay. So the number one piece of advice I ever give to single women is start a savings account. Start a savings account, start a savings account, start a savings account. Um, this is not about denying yourself a coffee or denying yourself a brunch with friends. This is about folding in regular savings habits that take from your money um, at the source. <laughs> so it's what you set aside from your incoming paychecks that go into a savings account. That savings account creates a sense over time of security, comfort, confidence, and calm that if things go awry, you can take care of yourself. And um, it doesn't. you don't have to do anything drastic. You can just start saving a little bit, start setting aside a little bit of a paycheck over time. And over time, that savings account grows and builds your confidence. And it also just starts to help you develop savings habits that are not about denying yourself things, but they're about allocating your incoming money in ways that are smart for your future. We talked about Valentine's Day coming up. You mentioned it. So what are your plans this weekend, Shaney? And what would you tell people who are single how they should view this day? 
I would just say that you don't have to hate it. You don't have to hate Valentine's Day. That's not a requirement. I know there are so many memes about singlehood and Valentine's Day floating around right now, but they don't have to be your truth. I happen to like Valentine's Day. I like any holiday with candy and a color scheme. I just, I don't understand why it has to be an automatic negative. I don't have negative feelings about a day that feels, first of all, just kind of you know, modern day versions of Valentine's, they feel kind of silly and forced to me. So to me, they don't carry a lot of pressure because I don't really see them as um, commandments. I see them as options. And we should only be participating in something like Valentine's Day if we want to. And we should only be thinking about it in the ways that feel right to us. So don't feel like you need to shine on negativity if you don't feel negative about Valentine's Day. And if you do, exercise self-care. Maybe remove yourself from social media for the day. Maybe plan in advance for yourself to have a really nice, relaxing day doing the things that you love to do. Um, you know, don't wait for Valentine's Day self-care to happen to you. You have to kind of make it happen. Um, and that's another piece of advice I give in that chapter is advanced planning is one of my favorite things for singles. Put the things in place that you know are going to make you feel good. And you're just sort of taking care of future you in that moment. Oh, we just have a couple of minutes left. I have to ask you about Galentine's Day. What's your take? Oh, my goodness. Um, <laughs> Like similarly, what are we doing? You know, what are we forcing? Why are we doing this? Um, I don't need a uh, alternate version of Valentine's Day. I am a single woman and Valentine's Day is okay with me. I don't need to call it Galentine's Day to feel better about myself. I feel really good about myself right now. Um, if I had followed my own advice and advanced planned a little bit more, I would be throwing a dinner party for all of my single girlfriends, but I could not get, get it together this year, admittedly. Um, I just, I find things like Galentine's Day to be a little bit othering and a little bit unnecessary. Well, it's been fun to hear from you, Shani Silver, and thanks to our callers who also engaged with you and this book, Single Revolution, Don't Look for a Match, Light One. Shani Silver is a podcaster, and again, this is her first book. Always a pleasure to hear from you. you got to come up to Connecticut. we got to hang out, Shani. Anytime, anytime. <laughs> thanks again. Today's show produced by Tess Terrible. On the phones today was Katie Pellico and our technical director, is Kat Pastor. Special thanks to Katie Tolarski and Gina Matruda. I'm Lucy Nalpathanchel. Have a great weekend. <laughs>